Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Well, a little over four years ago, uh, it was about midnight. I was living in Colorado at the time, and I went out on a walk um, in my neighborhood. It was snowing, and I walked to part of the neighborhood that uh, some roads that had no no houses built yet. So I was just standing there under a street light, looking at the sky with the snow coming down on me, <clears throat> and I prayed a prayer that I never would have imagined that I would pray. And it went something like this. Lord, no matter how long this takes, or no matter how hard it has to get, my prayer is that in the end, my kids will be alive and that they'll be closer to you. At that point, two of my high school kids were dealing with incredible depression. They're in really hard and dark places. And I had no idea what to do. I was at the end of what I knew and uh, only knew that I could turn to Jesus and beg him for his help, beg him to do something in the lives of my kids. And we started last week with Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, which says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in this series called Rest for the Weary, each week we're looking at somebody that comes to Jesus carrying a different kind of burden but weary, really weary from the journey. And depression is a heavy burden. It's a really heavy burden. If you're dealing with it yourself, you know the truth of that statement. And I pray that as I talk mostly to you today, that you'll find hope in God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ If you're in here watching online and you've been through depression in the past and you've come out of it, you've been healed, Jesus has done a work in your life, I pray today you would be reminded of his goodness and what he's done in you and what he might want to do through you. And if you've never been there, if that just hasn't been your experience, one, I'd say be thankful because you don't want it to be. But I would just encourage you to listen and try to understand what it's like for those who are there or who have been there. What the struggle feels like, what it looks like, how that affects your faith and and how you see God and all those things. Because I know from my own experience, it was easy just to have this kind of snap out of it mindset without really understanding all that was going on on the inside. 
And I just want to start by just giving a list here real quick, just to describe depression so we all kind of know we're somewhat on the same page. And I can't talk about everything because there's so much stuff. Uh, But just real quick, some of the factors that can contribute to the the feeling of depression, the feeling of, uh, we'll talk more about what it actually feels like, but are biological things. So it can be hereditary, which I think was true for my kids, that it came through uh, somewhat at least through our family lines. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain. That can be part of it. Sometimes people struggle because they just have chronic pain and they don't feel, they don't sense any hope that that's ever going to get any better. It can come from simple things like what we eat or the amount of exercise we get. Just how we feel physically can at least be a contributing factor to going down into a really deep, dark place where we kind of lose track of what's real and what's right. It can be relational, so being bullied at school or having a lack of affection or having a relationship, a marriage end, a a dating relationship end, being estranged from somebody that you love, feeling lonely, the death of a loved one. It can be situational, like a job loss or life transitions or empty nest or retirement financial problems, school pressure, disappointment, trauma. There are so many things. And it can be spiritual. Sin can lead to depression. We know that we're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy comes to steal and to destroy. And so that's always part of it, I think, is any foothold that he can get. He wants to rip us away from our relationship with others and from our relationship with the Lord. He wants to isolate us and he wants to speak all kinds of lies into our heads about who we are and who God is. We can just be in a spiritually dry place, sometimes talked about as a dark night of the soul, where you just, you just feel distant from the Lord. When I think about my kids, I think there's actually a little bit of all of those things going on. I think that's pretty common. That it's kind of this perfect storm of things that are happening and ways that they're feeling and, and certain situations they were going through that just all came together. And led them into this dark depression. And so they were feeling things like these symptoms, which are pretty common. Sadness, feeling alone. You kind of lose interest in the things that you really loved before. You don't have motivation anymore to do simple things. Maybe get out of bed in the morning. Maybe get your homework done. Practice for sports or whatever it may be. You feel stuck. You feel hopeless. You lose perspective on life. And you have this cycle of negative self-talk going on in your head, telling yourself lies. And here are some of those thoughts that you might feel. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. There's nothing good in my life. Things will never change. It's always going to be this way. People would be better off without me. I have no purpose. God doesn't care. God's left me by myself. We all struggle at different levels when we struggle. Sometimes we just dip into some of those thoughts. Some of us struggle for seasons. Some of us, it's years, and it's dark, and it's deep. But my hope is today that we will see together that there is hope. There is hope in the struggle because of Jesus. Above all things, because of Jesus, there's hope. And I just want to say a quick prayer before we get into God's word. Lord, thank you 
for the opportunity to tackle a tough topic today, but it's one that so many people struggle with, and it's one that you care about. You want us to find life. You want us to know you and your goodness, to see the gifts that you've given us in our lives, to believe the truth that you speak over us. And so, Lord, I just pray that through your word today, you might speak to hearts and help them to trust in you, even in the midst of really hard times. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you probably heard the scripture, and now you're thinking, okay, he's talking about depression, so what does this blind guy have to do with depression? Like, he surely isn't, they didn't say anything about depression in that scripture, and that's true. Uh, But as I thought about this topic, I thought about uh, the fact that depression has a lot to do with blindness. In fact, uh, you can see here what I'm thinking is that when someone is depressed, they lose their sight. They lose their perspective on some really important things. They cease to be able to see the truth about God, about his goodness, about who he is, about his presence in their life, about what he's up to. They lose all vision of the truth about themselves, of what he says about them, of his love for them, of the value that he's made in them and the gifts he's given them. They think they're worthless. They've got nothing and nobody wants them. When you're depressed, you, you lose context and perspective that you have people around you who love you and who care about you and are there to support you. Oftentimes, people feel so alone. Even in the midst of being around tons of people who love them, they can't see it. They're blind to it. And we're blind to the good things in life, to the gifts that God gives us, to the joys, the things we used to love to do or to have, and now we just we don't find the joy anymore. We don't see what's so great about those things. And so we find ourselves in this terrible darkness. And what we need is for our sight to be restored. We need to be able to see again, to see the truth of God and us and the goodness all around us. And so I want to look at this story from the Gospel of Mark about Jesus healing this blind man. And let me give you some of the original context real quick before you think I'm just like going rogue with this thing. It is, number one, a real story about a real blind man that Jesus healed and changed his life. And so that's awesome in itself, of just seeing the power of Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. But secondly, in the context of Mark's gospel, he uses this story to illustrate something more. Where he places it in the midst of these stories about the disciples, he's trying to illustrate for them that their sight being open to who Jesus was and what he was doing in the world was taking a while, that it was a process that they were going through, that they understood in part, but it wasn't going to be until after the death and resurrection of Jesus that they would fully see that their eyes would be opened, even though they might proclaim, like, like Peter, you are the Christ. He didn't fully see it. He saw some of it. And so it's illustrating this idea of sight of blindness, not only physical in this man, but in the disciples of their spiritual blindness and their relationship with Jesus. And so what I would like to do today is to really look at the similarities there in our ability to see Jesus and to understand what he's doing in our lives when we are blinded by this thing we call depression. And so we know, like, we don't have any stories in the Gospels of someone coming to Jesus and saying, or someone bringing them to Jesus and saying, hey, 
I'm depressed, I need your help. We just didn't have that kind of language or understanding at the time. But my bet would be that a lot of people that Jesus spent time with and a lot of people that he healed, probably on top of everything else they had going on, were dealing with some level of depression and the way that we would think about it today. And so I want to talk through this story and look at the similarities as Jesus heals this blind man and as we have a need within our blindness sometimes to see through healing. And, and there's five things that this blind man needed that we see in the story that I think we need too as we struggle with depression. And so the first one we see here in the story is that need for persistent people. Now this is one that is really easy to look past. It just seems like an intro line into the story, but it tells us they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Some people. We don't know who the people are. Doesn't tell us. I would assume it was either friends of his or family of his would make sense if they're going to go through the trouble of trying to get this man, weave him through probably a giant crowd and get him to Jesus. And once they get there, they don't just hand him off to Jesus. It says they begged Jesus. They begged him. Would you touch him? Would you heal him? Here's the thing. When we are struggling, when we can't see, we need persistent people to lead us to Jesus. We need people to beg Jesus on our behalf to touch us and to heal us, to pray for us consistently, persistently. But there's a trick to it. People got to know that we have a problem. And a lot of times when people struggle with depression, nobody knows. We hide it. We cover it up. We put on a happy face. We go about our daily life. And you can't get help if nobody knows you need help. And so for those of you that are struggling right now, I'm going to talk to you at this moment and say, would you please consider and pray about talking to somebody who you trust about what you're feeling and about what you're dealing with? So you have a chance for someone to be praying for you and encouraging you and walking with you and leading you to Jesus. That's something I've prayed over and over and over again for my kids through these years that they've been off doing different things, that God would place people in their lives, bring people around them who will lead them to Jesus, who will support them and encourage them and be persistent in praying for them. Because we can do it from home, and that's awesome, but the more people we can surround somebody with who's struggling, the better. And I also say to the rest of us, we can be one of those people. So ask the Lord for opportunities, for eyes for you to open your eyes and see if there's anyone in your life who might be struggling, who you can come alongside, who you can at least commit to start praying for on a regular basis. So we need persistent people. The second thing we find here is that he needed to be led by Jesus. We just sang a lot about this. Jesus is the one. Jesus is what we need when it comes down to it. It says, he took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. Again, we don't get a whole lot of detail, but it seems as though Jesus was gentle. When I just try to picture this, the scene, he hears of this guy, he's told what's going on, 
his friends or family are begging and there's probably a huge crowd and he takes the man by the hand and he leaves. And I don't know how long the walk was to get outside the village, but I imagine it took a little while. And I wish we were told the conversation that probably took place because I imagine there was one as Jesus and this man talked as they walked together. And I would imagine it was a conversation of love and of gentleness. And he leads the man out of his old context and into a new place where he plans to heal him. And that's what we need when we're struggling. We need something new and we need Jesus to take us there. And so my question would be again to those who are struggling, who do you allow to lead you? in the midst of the darkness, because we're talking about a blindness when you can't see what's wrong and what's right. When you're confused and you don't understand, you can't see the goodness of God. You don't understand who he's made you to be. You don't know the purpose of life. There's lots of people that want to tell you stuff in that moment. And there are lots of places you can go to try to cope with the pain or deal with it. Substances or voices that believe other things. But I encourage you, So maybe just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to put my hand in yours. And I'm going to trust you to lead me wherever you want to take me. Trusting that wherever it is you take me is going to be a place of healing. And a place where you can change my sight and restore what I need in my life. We need Jesus to lead us. We need people to lead us to Jesus and we need Jesus to lead us to healing. The third thing we notice is that there's progress in the process. First of all, this is a process that we see here. There aren't many miracles where it takes Jesus more than one time to accomplish what he's doing, right? And we don't know all all of what's going on here, but usually he just either says something by his words or he touches somebody or somebody touches him and immediately they're healed. Yet here we see a two-part progress a process that happens. And one of the things I like about this is, again, I don't know what all is trying to look up the whole deal with the spit because it's a little confusing that he just puts spit on the guy's eyes. But it says, when he had spit in the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So he's got partial sight now. He's gone from blind to partial sight and still he's confused about what he's seeing. But I would imagine that this guy's probably excited because it's better than it was before. And he can see something at this point. And I love the fact that whether whatever people believe or whatever was going on with the spit, when I just think about that part, I'm like, man, Jesus can use anything. He can use anything because he knows what he's doing and he knows what we need. I mean, he uses spit. He uses mud. You see in the Bible, the Lord used donkeys and all kinds of crazy things to accomplish his will. And I watched the Lord work in the lives of my kids over the last few years, and I've seen him use things I would never expect him to use. There are things that I would expect the Lord to use, and there are things that I wouldn't expect the Lord to use. There are people that I did not expect him to use that he used in the lives of my kids. Did you know it's possible for people that don't know Jesus to speak truth? To speak Jesus' truth, that happened. 
He used music that I would never expect and lyrics of songs that these aren't songs you could buy at the Christian bookstore. But there were lyrics that God used to speak some sort of truth, at least to get my kid the next step down the road closer to trusting Jesus and what they needed in him in those moments. But I just say that to encourage you. Like, if you love somebody that's struggling and you're like, man, I don't feel like they're where they need to be or doing exactly what they need to be, I would encourage you to keep praying for them and asking the Lord to use whatever is there, whoever is there, because he can. And then he uses the things that you would expect him to use, right? Maybe you don't expect the spit thing, but you expect him to touch the man, and he does that. And we see lots of things we hear about. I mean, if you're dealing with with this uh, depression or darkness and you go read a book or you go to uh, see a counselor, they're going to tell you some things that probably you'll hear a lot that you might expect. So things like this, you know, what would be good is for you to get out in nature, for you to get some exercise, for you to make sure that you're eating healthy, that you're getting good sleep. A pastor or a friend or a Christian counselor might say, get in God's word, listen to some worship music, whatever it may be. And those aren't things that people just say. Those are things that even if it's non-Christians telling you this, they're things that science has figured out the way that God made us. And God knows that he gave us creation and it will lift our spirits. And it tells us something about who he is when we're out in nature. It helps us. God knows that sleep helps us and good food helps us. And so people are figuring it out. God has made us a certain way and there are certain things that help us feel better when we're down and when we're hurting. And so he can use the things we don't expect. He can use things we, we do. But remember that it's a process and you want to be making progress. I don't know why I thought about it this week, just this idea of if you fly in a plane and you've ever flown through clouds, I don't know why I thought about that, but I just think about depression sometimes is when you're trying to gain your sight, you're trying to understand what's going on, you're trying to get a glimpse of God when he seems so distant. It's like flying through a cloud, it's like it's there and then it's not. You can see and then all of a sudden you're back in. Sometimes it's thick, sometimes it's thin, and you can kind of see through it. And I get nervous that there's another plane coming the other way through the clouds. I mean, I know that's probably not the case, but when you can't see, you just don't know until you get out in the clear and things start to make sense again. But I feel like when you're talking about sight and depression, like it's just back and forth. It's so hard because you see and then you don't and and you don't know what's real and what's right and which direction you're going. But the clearer things get, the more you start to see that there's hope. There is hope. And so fourth, we need hope in this process, in the midst of this process. The process of understanding Jesus and his work, it was slow and it was hard for the disciples. I mean, think about all this time that they spent with the Lord and all these incredible things they saw him do. And they still, they just, they couldn't get exactly what he was talking about. They couldn't get exactly what he was there to do. Until finally, they could. Their sight was made fully clear. And so understanding how Jesus works in our lives, especially when we've got this cloud of depression over us, is very difficult. And so I want to walk you through this case study real quick. Psalm 42. It's messy. But it's this picture we get in Scripture of someone who is 
I would say, in the midst of depression. And they're expressing like all these different kinds of things. It's like this battle going on of hard things and good things. You see need and you see oppression and you see questions and you see them like treading water. And then mixed in with that, you see them remembering good things and preaching to themselves and praising God and expressing hope. And it's not like linear. It doesn't start off hard and get better and better and better. It's just like back and forth, back and forth. And so if you want to turn, if you've got a Bible with you, you want to turn to Psalm 42. We're just going to walk through this together real quick. And just to give you some context, this is the first chapter in the second book of Psalms. So Psalms kind of split into two books. And so we're used to most of the Psalms being written by David. This one tells us that it's written by the sons of Korah, and there's a whole backstory to them. But these guys, they were, their job was like to lead worship in the temple, and they have been exiled. They've been taken out and taken into captivity, and they are far away from what they're used to doing. They're far away from the people that they're used to being with. They don't have their job or their purpose anymore. They long to be with God and to worship him again the way they used to. And so here's them expressing how they feel about it all and what they're longing for. And so here's what it says, starting in verse 1, Psalm 42, they express their need. And maybe you've never thought about this verse in this context, but it says, you've heard the verse probably, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? And until this week, I'd never thought about those verses within the context of what was going on here. And how they're talking about how dry they are, how thirsty they are, the greatness of the need that they have to see God, to be with God, to worship God again. But they express it, which I think is helpful to express their need, to understand their need. And then they get into talking about oppression that they're dealing with. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then again, down in 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And this can be the experience sometimes when we struggle as Christians and we're, and we let people know that we're Christians, that people that don't know the Lord or they're, they don't care or they're kind of anti all that we believe is when we do struggle, you can start getting the, oh, I thought, thought God loved you. Thought God cared for you. Where's your God now? Why are you struggling so bad? That's not supposed to happen, is it? God's going to let you go through that when you're so faithful to him. And sometimes those voices come from the outside, and I'd say more often they probably come from the inside. When we struggle, we start thinking, where is my God? Why isn't he helping? His promises don't seem to be coming true in my life the way that I thought they would. And so that's something we have to deal with. We have to answer those voices. We need to look for answers as we hear those words and feel oppressed. And one way we do that is by remembering, and that's what we see next in here. Four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throngs. 
And then verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. It's a practice of reminding ourselves of the goodness of God when we don't feel it currently. Someone said once, and it's always stuck with me, just this, this simple line, remember in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. That we see the goodness of God when we have clear vision, when, when the sun is shining, when things are good, and we remember when it gets cloudy and the storms come. We need to be reminded of the goodness of God, of what he has done in the past, and that he can do those things again. And then we go down to verse 7. And I call this little section, it's just like treading water. It's like deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and your breakers, they've swept over me. I'm thinking of if you've ever been in a wave pool and it's just like you just keep getting hit by rafts or waves or whatever, or you're trying to get out or you're too deep or you're in the ocean and you, as soon as you stand up from getting knocked over by a wave, another one smashes into you. That can be the experience. That can be the feeling in the midst of depression. You just can't get your footing. You just can't get up. You just keep getting hit over and over again. As I was communicating with my kids this week, my daughter, Maya, told me, she said, Dad, depression for me, this might sound weird, but she said, it felt like, it feels like swimming in a pool of honey. It's, it's thick and it's, it's hard. And I'm struggling as hard as I can and I feel like I'm not going anywhere. And she said, the worst part is I feel like people are looking at me from the outside and they're thinking, why isn't she even trying? But it's just waves coming over and over again. And then he follows that up with praise. Verse 8, by the day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of life. It's like after the day of struggle, he lays down in bed and the songs of praise come back to his mind. He's reminded again of God's goodness. And then we have the last three things which show up in three times really here in verse 5 and verse 11 and then Psalm 43 is actually a continuation of Psalm 42. It's one long song and so you get the exact same lines again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. And this is what it says, Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So at the beginning there, he's asking questions. Why? Why is my soul downcast within me? And then he goes on a little bit lower uh, to ask more questions. Let's see. I say to my God, my rock, in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed again by the enemy? I'm going to say this real quick. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions of yourself. It's okay to ask internal questions. It's okay to ask questions of God because it's honest conversation. You don't have to pretend with God that it's all good. We sang, It Is Well With My Soul this morning at the first service, and that's a great song. But sometimes we need to be able to say, it's not actually well with my soul. I'm struggling. I don't understand. I have doubts. I don't get it. And that's okay, because it's honest. And God, he can handle that. 
He longs for honest conversation with us. And then he does a little bit of self-preaching there. This one line, put your hope in God. It's like he's telling himself over and over again, okay, whatever else is going on around me, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. And then he finishes it up there with this, like this hope, this trust and hope, thinking, I may not be there now. I may not be where I want to be praising God the way I wish I was. But he says, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The time will come again where I will get there, where it will happen. And sometimes we have to, with the preaching to ourself idea is, like, we, sometimes we have this broken record going on in our head telling us things that just aren't true. And we need to take some truth from the outside and we need to stuff it back down into the inside and say, I, don't, I, can't, I'm a, I can't, should not believe what I'm telling myself right now because I know my mind is lying to me. And so I need truth from God's word. I need truth from people I trust to tell me what's real. Who am I in the Lord? Where is the Lord? How does the Lord feel about me? And you start putting that, I'm going to trust him no matter what. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to yourself. It's hard and it's tiring to feel hopeless. But we see in the story, there comes a day of deliverance. For this man, there comes a day of deliverance. It says, once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Now, I can't, I'd imagine if you told this guy the day before, like in complete blindness, hey, by the way, tomorrow you're going to see clearly like you've never seen before. I don't think he would believe that that's the truth. And I think it's hard to believe in the midst of depression and darkness and having your vision clouded that there could come a day. Actually, there will come a day in God's timing when you will see clearly again. And sometimes the struggle is for a season. Sometimes the struggle is for years and years and years. Sometimes the struggle is for a lifetime. But the promise that we have in Christ is even if that's the case, there still will come a day when we will see clearly and when we won't have to deal with that pain and that hurt any longer. And my prayer is, as we're in the middle of it, as we're in the struggle, for now, that maybe God just simply opens our eyes enough to see enough truth, to have enough hope, to help us take one more step, to live one more day, to go where he's leading us to go. Because there's hope. With Jesus, there's always hope. And I haven't been to that place of darkness where I can't see it at all. But I know people who have. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I wish my dad would have seen the hope when he bailed, when he gave up on life when I was 12 in the midst of depression because he missed out on a lot. I wish he could see the way God is working through my kids. The way his kids have grown up to love the Lord and serve him. And whatever was going on in his life, it got to a point where he just lost sight. 
And I want to tell you guys, don't give up. The Lord can get you through the next day. His mercies are new every morning. The verse that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me works here because it's telling us that we can make it, we can be content, we can walk with the Lord in any circumstance. Whether we have everything we need or we don't, we're dry, we're confused, the Lord can carry us. So that night four years ago as I took my kids to Jesus in prayer and I begged him to touch them so they could see, that he would bring them out of the darkness, that he would open their eyes. I think I experienced more than any other time in my life a peace that passes understanding that we get promised in Scripture. And I'm always, it's funny, I mean, we just do this because I'm afraid to, like, say it because I'm like, ooh, I don't want to jinx it. Like, I feel like God gave me this promise, so I'm just going to say that God gave me this promise that I just heard in my heart the simple line, your kids are going to be okay. And that was just in the beginning of a journey that continues. But I'm trusting the Lord and his promise. And I realized at that point I needed to hand my kids off to Jesus. It's hard to imagine as a parent that God loves your kids more than you do, but he does. And he he knows better than I do what they need. And so I had to just say, Lord, they're yours. I'm going to trust you with them. And I'm trusting that he can do the work in their lives that he wants to do. And he's been working. And it's been a process, and it continues, and they have great days and seasons, and they have hard days and dark days. And every once in a while, my son Eli will call, and he's come such a long way from not being able to get out of bed in the morning, dropping out of high school for a season because of his depression, to now he's come at least to a place where he's trusting the Lord, and he'll just... Send me a text and say, Dad, the depression is hitting hard today. Will you pray for me? And he's putting his trust in the Lord to lead him day by day to where he wants him to go. Trusting that there will come a day, whenever it is, but even in the midst that God has good plans for his life. And the other cool thing I'll say real quick, I'm sorry I'm going long. But it's been awesome to see God work through them as they've, They're kind of an open book. They're like, I said, do you care if I tell a little bit of your story? I'm not going to tell like all these details, but they're like, if it might help people, tell them. They want to tell their friends. They want to tell anybody that wants to know what their experience has been because they know other people are struggling. And so it's been really cool to hear stories of them coming alongside others who are in the same darkness, just as they share God's goodness, as they share their struggle and the reality of it and what God can do. In the midst. And so I'm going to end with this. I ask my kids and I ask uh, some of my other family who have had their lives deeply turned upside down and affected by depression just to share. I said, what would you, if I could, if you could say something to the people in the room who maybe are struggling with depression, what would you want to say? And so here, I just want to read these to you so you can hear them and you can read them for yourself. But here's their words. And so just take these as coming from other people who love the Lord, who have struggled or loved people who have struggled, and they're in it with you. But they would say to you, don't give up. God has you here for a reason. Don't believe your inner voice when it goes against what God says about you. Don't isolate yourself. Reach out. You are not a burden. You need help with the one you're carrying. Getting professional help shows strength, not weakness. 
Depression does not mean you have weak faith. Don't be ashamed. Depression is not a sin. Please don't make a permanent decision based on temporary feelings. Keep fighting for tomorrow. There is hope. Things change and they can get better. And lastly, God is with you. He knows your battle and he cares. Let me pray. Lord, I would just pray at this moment for anyone in this room or listening to this at some point who is struggling in the darkness, that you would show yourself clearly to them, that you would make them aware of your presence, that you would surround them with people who will be persistent in praying for them and encouraging them, and that they would be willing to let you take them by the hand and walk them through a process of healing. No matter how long it takes, no matter how hard it has to get, Lord, that in the end they would be closer to you, living a life for you. Thank you that you have the power to do it and that you love them so much. We give them to you and we trust you in all of our struggles. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.